I mean, it was yeah. hype. Anytime Atlanta played Tampa, well, I see you tighten down on the shade. I see the safety yeah. coming down. I'm like, here it comes. Fire's on. It's coming. And, yeah. and I said something to you. I was like, I know what you're doing, Booger. And and as the play's being snapped, it don't matter. It don't matter. And there comes Sap. Sack. <laughs> it don't matter if you know what we're doing. It's coming. But... got a, a guy that's a fan favorite down here in Louisiana. We go way back and, you know, in the trenches at LSU, you all know him. This is uh, my guy, Anthony Booger McFarlane. How's it going, Bug? What's up, T-Mac? Man, little did I know that you were going to become a, a media mogul, have your own podcast and a nice studio. And I mean, look at you, man. Nah, well, shoot, I don't know about a media mogul. You know, I watch you guys. You look, what's crazy to me, Bug, is you look at you Big Swagoo, Ryan Clark, all guys that came through that that LSU locker room, uh, all guys that while they were at LSU talked a lot of trash. And now <laughs> y'all get to go on national TV, and I love watching you guys because y'all are really good at it. You know, I, I mean, I can remember our locker yeah. room at LSU, Bug. We always talked about, you know, the college game, what was going on, and the, the trash talking in that locker room. You guys, now you get paid – you're not talking trash all the time, but you get paid to go talk about football, something you all love. You know what's fun, man, is it, 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 just that. Is I tell people all the time that they ask me about the travel and they ask me about, you know, going from Tampa to Connecticut. And I'm like, listen, it beats working for a living because <laughs> talking football and doing what we do now, like this is what we did in the locker room. We sat around right. in little small groups. We talked about who we were going to play what uh what they were doing we talked about the nba like we talked about sports that that was the common denominator between all of us we came from different backgrounds we came from different parts of the country but when you get together in the locker room with 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 good people and you have good uh fun genuine conversation sometimes you agree sometimes you disagree like that's part of the whole team bonding experience man and so uh, i enjoy doing it now i enjoyed it more back then because when we did it back then, there was no social media. Like, you could say something, and it might be dumb as hell, and nobody else heard about it. <laughs> now, if you <laughs> yeah. say something, it, it's around the world in, like, 30 seconds, man. They didn't have social media with me and you when we were doing it, man. And I know I couldn't imagine being in the same locker room with you during the NFL days when LSU was going on them runs. I couldn't imagine the trash talking that you were doing in the locker room. You know, with other guys that might have played at Florida, might have played at Alabama. That was fun for me. You know, when LSU's on them runs and you can talk trash about your college, uh, that was some good times. I bet y'all had some heated moments. Listen, those are the best times, man, especially not just in the locker room, but even now. You go back to 20, I believe it was, what, 2007, 2013, 2019. Anytime LSU went on a national championship-type run, whether we were in the locker room, whether I was working for the local radio station, or in this last uh, batch in 19, I was at ESPN. Like, everybody knew that myself, Ryan Clark, and Marcus Spears went to LSU. Like, Ryan, Ryan got to the point, Ryan had suits made that were purple and gold. And Marcus, Marcus was wearing hoodies. And, and uh, I, I was fortunate enough, man, to be the guest captain at the national championship game. So, dude, there's nothing like the pride you have in your school. Like, Absolutely. you played a, a, a gazillion years in Atlanta. Uh, you're in the ring of honor. I, I played in Tampa, played in Indy, won a couple of rings, but there's nothing quite like the feeling of 
the, the the passion that you have for your school. There's there's a certain level of professionalism you, you have to have when you get a job, when you play for the Falcons or the Bucks or whoever. That's a job. And I think some people don't understand that, but for us, we do because you got to clock in and clock out. But when you go to a school, man, and back then we didn't have NIL. So we, we went to LSU because we wanted to go there and for the love of the school. And we played for that uniform and we played for that, that jersey. And now... I don't know if you can genuinely say that everybody's doing that. And, and to me, that's the difference in the errors and the difference in the passion that you have for your school. Oh, absolutely, Bug. And I look at it now, NIL, it is what it is. It's, it's changed the game. But the thing I worry about is, you know, say a young Booger McFarland, uh, you had to go out there every year in college and prove that you were worth, you know, getting to the NFL and getting drafted and you had a chip on your shoulder. Uh, nowadays, I think the NIL kind of takes that away from kids. They're getting paid already, and they don't have that want to as much, you know. But you worry if that that extra drive is is not going to be there as much for these guys, you know. Well, no doubt you worry about it. Listen, I wasn't worried about the NFL. Like my freshman year, dude, I wasn't worried about the NFL. I was trying to figure out how to deal with Todd McClure, Alan Fanica, Adam Perry, <laughs> Ryan Thompson. Like I, I was just trying to figure out how to deal with that, and going against you guys every day required a certain focus and that focus kept my mind where it needed to be kept my mind exactly where it should have been which was at practice trying to get better i was never a huge weightlifter the reason i started lifting a lot of weights man is i saw the guys that i was going against you and tiny you know thomas is in there benching seven thousand pounds i'm like okay i mean i'm i'm not sure that's what that's what we need to be doing but watching the way you guys worked out, the collectiveness that the offensive line uh, exuded every day, like that's what kind of got me into it and, and, and spurred me to, hey, Chuck Wilder, let's go. Like Kenny Mixon, like all these guys, we need to start doing that. And, and it's amazing how leading by example will help bring others along and also can create the camaraderie. Like we were working, we were, we were grinding, but we were also creating that camaraderie so that was my focus, man. Like, I didn't really start thinking about the NFL truly, Todd, until, like, the middle of my junior year. Yeah. Because then yeah. you could start to kind of see it. But, dude, my freshman year, I'm like, man, how in the hell can I get, get through this ISO block where I got a double team on each shoulder and the linebacker sit back there with his back turned to me, you know? Yeah, Booger, you kind of stole my thunder a little bit because uh, that's what I wanted to touch on. And you say you wasn't a big weightlifting guy. And every time I look <laughs> Look across the weight room, you know, whether you were bench pressing, squatting. I think the most impressive thing about you was your power clean. Uh, and, and it showed on the field, you know, the explosion. So at the same time, I'm looking at you and like, I got to block this dude every day, you know. And, and we're going to get into that a little bit, Booger, the dudes we had on that team and why we weren't more successful. Uh, but, but first, you and what you meant to me and my career, you know, I – to go against Booger McFarland, we came in together. We were in 95, uh, class of 95 at LSU to bring back the magic, um, you know, and we had to go out and make a name for ourselves. But having to go against you and Chuck Wiley, you know, you played the shade. Chuck was a three. But having to learn how to block you to reach you was unreal. I didn't play against anybody else in my career. Maybe Leroy Glover. He was a lot lighter, quick as a cat, didn't have the power that you had. But I had to learn how to block you and or get embarrassed and get called out. You know, I had to learn how to do it. And my first step got so good over four years trying to block Booger McFarland. And and I think 
if if you wouldn't have been there at LSU, I don't know if I would have made it to the NFL. But because you made me better, you know, iron sharpens iron, and you know, it was a privilege to go up against you every day. Dude, it, it, you know what's funny, man, it, it, is I often reflect now, and this is not just about football, because I got two kids now. My daughter, she'll be 16 next month. My son's 12. That's and great. I talk to them about friendships and about their friends and about, about developing relationships with people. And, and everything you said was right about the iron sharpens, sharp sharpens iron. There was something to do, and, and I told him this, uh, because like, let, let's face it, Todd, like we live in a different climate today and, and things have changed since 95. When I'll never forget the first time I met you, the first time I met your brother, the first time I met Leo, and just understanding about who you guys were. And so, yeah, we made each other better, but I think there was a laser focus that went beyond that. Not only are we making each other better, I'm developing a relationship with somebody that little little did we know. I mean, it's been almost 30 years, dude. And like the relationship that you and I developed, um, I'll never forget, man. Like unbeknownst to me, when you like, I, I actually wanted to say, hey, can I borrow your truck? And, and you didn't even hesitate. You're like, sure, just make sure you don't wreck and, and put some gas in it. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, like, who, like, who does that? Like, I'm from Winsboro. This dude's from Baton Rouge. Like, yeah, but, but that's what teammates do. That's what the bond that was developed every single day that's what that bond created dude and so you talk about i helped make you uh i think we help make each other but one of the things and i think i've told you this before and if i haven't i, I want everybody to hear this dude the the graciousness the friendship that you showed me here from Winsboro, louisiana dude like it, sometimes i get i get emotional when i talk about no, it we ain't, get, we ain't getting emotional today but but, but <laughs> i never had anybody that up until that point in my life, did that for me, dude. And so I honestly appreciated it. Um, I'm grateful for it. You made me a better young man and made me a better man today. Um, and you embarrassed me a few times, dude, just because, yeah, your first step got so good, it got to the point that Tali would always like, hey, there's no way you should get reached as a shade. I'm like, Tali, I mean, you want me to fire off and play the double team, but you also want me to play the reach block. I said, it's kind of got to be one or the other at some point. No, no. Double nickel can do it. How come 9-4 can't do it? So it, it, it was so it was so many of, of those moments. Um, but I appreciate the player you were, but even more importantly, and you're in the ring of honor in Atlanta, and I think your pro career speaks for itself. I want everybody to know, I appreciate the man that you are, and more importantly, the friend that you are to me, dude. Well, thank you, Bug. And, you know, that means a lot coming from you. Um, now you're going to get me emotional talking about it. But it goes back to the way I was raised. Uh, my grandfather, Archie, I think you got to meet my grandfather, Archie, yeah. one of the crawfish balls or something. Uh, he was kind of ahead of his time. And uh, Robert Williams, who was Doug Williams' dad, yeah. came into Central one day, and he wanted to meet my grandfather. Uh, and at that time, I mean, uh, black families and white families weren't really, they weren't mixing, you know. Right. Uh, so Robert comes to my grandfather's house, and my grandfather's brother was there. He got up and left. He said he wasn't sitting in the kitchen and drinking out of the same coffee cup as Robert Williams. My grandfather wow. said, good, you're gone. Look, look, they didn't talk for 25 years, 26 years. Wow. So my, my grandfather and Robert Williams coached together. They, they coached my dad, Leo, and Doug in, in, in baseball. 
and, and Doug could sling it. But what I'm getting at is that's how I was raised. You know, that's how my grandfather kind of started that. It didn't matter who you were, what you looked like. Basically, if you could play sports, we could get along, you know, and that's how it started. Yeah. That's how a lot of things started. And I grew up, me and my brother, Trey and Tanner grew up in a locker room. My dad was a college coach at Southeastern. So we got to hang out in locker rooms, see college basketball players from different backgrounds and see them talk trash and see them get along. Uh, so I was fortunate for that. Uh, but you talk about Booger. I look back at Booger was uh, he was in our wedding. I look back at the roster we had of the groomsmen. You had Jew, who's you got two uh, two rings, two Super Bowl yeah. rings. You got Fanica that's got a ring or two and a gold jacket. My brother yeah. Trey's got two national championship baseball rings. I think y'all 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 stole some kind of my mojo. The only thing I got is a <laughs> Independence Bowl ring and a and a Peach Bowl ring, Booger. That's all I got, man. <laughs> hey, 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 listen, dude. You are in the Ring of Honor in Atlanta. And so no matter what happens for the rest of your life, dude, uh, people will walk in that stadium and they'll see your name. And Todd, that's something that your kids are going to be proud of. Your kids' kids are going to be proud of. And that's something you can never take away, dude. Like I walk in Tampa Stadium now and I see Leroy Selma's name up there. Mm -hmm. And every time I see his name, I'm reminded of the moments that I had with him. And so when people see your name, they're going to be reminded of old Mud Duck. They're yeah, going to be sure. reminded of, of, of the guy that you – first of all, let me, I've been wanting to tell you this also. Uh-oh. I don't know who who your equipment manager was. Uh-huh. Somebody needed to talk to him and tell him, like, your uniform needs to be adjusted. Like, like you were a great player, but you were the worst-dressed center I've ever been around. Like, oh, dude, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it was the way you were built, but, I mean, yes. like, like the jersey didn't fit. And I'm like – and you walk kind of funny. I'm like – can somebody get him a better uniform? <laughs> that was it, man. I was, that was like, what me. The hell? Uh -huh. I wasn't worried about. Look, I know you. You used to look in the mirror, and make sure everything looked no good before you went out on the Absolutely. field. Absolutely. Look, hey, I'm I'm not pretty, but I got the job done. You know. And Booger, I look back. I look back at our times uh, in Atlanta, specifically the Michael Vick era in Atlanta when y'all were yeah. in Tampa. Y'all had y'all's. Unbelievable defense and and the battles we had. I had to go back and look at it. Look, Michael Vick was, uh, I want to say five and five all time against Tampa Bay. You know he got hurt in two thousand three, the year y'all won the Super Bowl, broke his leg, but played against y'all once. But man, we had some battles and those battles and the build up was almost like a, a college game. I remember yeah. you, you guys had the video about the, uh, the roller coaster ride, the Michael Vick experience, and the kid goes, I don't want to be Mike Vick. I don't want to be Mike Vick. <laughs> but, I, hey, I specifically remember Booger, and I don't know why this play sticks out. Y'all came to the Georgia Dome, and yeah. it was the first series of the game. I mean, it was hype. Yeah. Every time Atlanta played Tampa, well, I see you tighten down on the shade. I see the safety yeah. coming down. I'm like, here it comes. Fire zone. It's coming. And, and yeah. I said something to you. I was like, I know what you're doing, Booger. And and as the play's being snapped, it don't matter. It don't matter. And there comes Sap. Sack. You know, it don't matter if you know what we're doing. It's coming. But, but I mean, that's how good y'all were. You knew. I knew when y'all were about to run your blitzes and what y'all were about to do, but y'all didn't care. You know, you had Dude. Sap in the three. You had Brooks. You had Lynch. Rice. I mean, you could go around, and, and, and y'all were that good. Dude, we didn't hide what we did. I like our defense. I and it's, it's funny because you know Brian Kelly, our, our head coach now, and uh, at LSU, 
uh, as our defense has kind of been struggling, I'll send him a message every now and then. Like, listen, coach, defense is not complicated. Like, too many times coaches complicate defense. Mm -hmm. I said, I can list every defense I ran in Tampa right now. And and I sent them to him. I sent him all 10 defenses. (laughs) I said, this is all we had. I can still name them today. Over black. All right? When we in over front, we're going to have a six technique on the tight end. We're going to play man coverage behind. Under China, when we're in under front, all right, the Sam backer's going to walk up. All right, we got four weak, we got four strong. We got fire zone weak, we got fire zone strong. That's, I mean, that's kind of all we run. <laughs> and that was right? y'all, yeah, that was y'all. Anytime we're in two deep coverage, you're going to get some type of movement up front. You're going to get a stick by the five technique, or you're going to get the power stunt. We're not going to uh, play just two deep coverage with because we're a man short in the, uh, in the run game. So I say all that to say this to your point. Our defense was simplistic, and we thrived because we were on the details. And it was about us and not about anybody else. And we got up to play y'all because it was a college-like experiment. Y'all had a DJ, dude. Y'all had a DJ <laughs> inside the stadium. Who the hell has a DJ in the stadium besides the Falcons? And so it was a true party atmosphere. We enjoyed it. We loved it. The play I'll never forget is when uh, was it Kenyon Forney was your right guard. Yeah. And uh-huh. it's down. It, it's down by the goal line. And he, he's been woofing. He's been talking noise. And I'm like, okay, are they going to run the football or is this going to be a play-action pass out of the end zone? And so I just tighten up and I guess I guess pass. And I said, I simply said this. When the ball is snapped, I'm going to try to run through the six and the five. And uh-huh. I ran through the six and the five. I remember. Stack, fumble, <laughs> Mike Vick. And to this day, Kenyon Forney still has not let me live that down. As a matter of fact, Fr- Fred McCrary and him are friends. And we were on a golf course. Uh, this summer and Fred called him and Fred was like, man, I got somebody want to talk to you. And he was like, man, you asshole. Like he, <laughs> we were just going back and forth uh, because he still remembers that play. But th- that's just the battles we had. And y'all with that zone run scheme, because back then y'all could cut block. And I used right. to hate going against y'all because I'm like, how come y'all just can't block people straight up? Why y'all got to cut people by the ankles? <laughs> I'm like, what, like, what the hell are we doing now? So. Great battles, dude. Great battles each and every time. I can remember, I mean, we could sit here and talk about old times forever, but, you know, I got you in the shade, and I can remember, uh, it was early, we had Travis Claridge. He played at USC. I don't know if you remember him. He was drafted yeah, I do. high. He, uh, but he was a nervous guy on the field. So if you were playing on the shade to his side, he'd be like, don't leave me, don't leave me, don't leave me, leave a hand. <laughs> but look, and it, hey, but it gets third down, and you got Sap lining up in that damn near nine technique. And he's hollering at me, McClure, you got to get out here. You got to get out here. You know, and y'all were in his head so much. Sap talked to him. Don't leave me out here with this rookie, you know. And he was just done before it got started. But that definitely some great times, Bug, playing against each other. And, uh, I mean, your career, was it eight years in Tampa and two in Indy? Is that right? No, it's seven in Tampa, two in Indy. Seven Um, and two. Yeah. One of the guys, uh, like I said, the total package, uh, the way you played the game, I would rather go up against a guy that was, you know, 330, 340 pounds that didn't work. Your motor never stopped. And I think that's what made you so good uh, for so long in college and in Atlanta. I mean, in the NFL. Uh, But, Booger, I still go back to, and I've heard you talk about this a little bit, I think your first big big game in Tiger Stadium where, where the lights, it was a day game, Florida. When you yeah. came out and you had every pad on that bike, that bike made with the elbow <laughs> sleeves, the knee guards, the uh, going in at fullback, and I think you said you wind up taking it all off halfway through the game, right? Yeah. Here's the thing, dude. 
is that, um, you know, playing fullback was something that just because I was athletic, I wanted to do. And your boy, Jerry Donato, gave me an opportunity to do. And, you know, you, you know, we threw this pass every day in practice. It felt like for like two or three weeks. I'm like, are we ever going to run this thing in the game? And then finally he calls it and I go in. And the crazy part about it, like, like the crazy part about the huddle for me is, like, you guys really don't say a whole lot in there. You, you guys are kind of quiet. And the quarterback comes in and says to play and everybody breaks the huddle. On defense, we do a lot of talking. And so I walk in the huddle and I'm like, nobody's saying nothing. Everybody's just breathing hard. And I'm like, okay, like, like okay. And he calls the play. And I can't remember, what was that? That was Jay, was that Jamie Howard or, or Herb no, Fowler? That was, I think that would have been Jamie then, right? Because yeah. that was that was early. Jamie. Yeah. Yes, Jamie and Jamie looked at me and kind of gave me the eye, and I'm like, oh, he's gonna throw it again. Because <laughs> he had thrown it in practice. He threw it high, threw it low. I'm like, Jim, what are you doing? He's like, I just make, I want to make sure you can catch it. I'm like, okay, just throw it to me. Don't make me go run for it. And dude, to this day, dude, I uh, obviously the, the story has changed a little bit. I tell people the corner was lined up in the shade and I had to give him a little hezzy move <laughs> and, and kind of shook the corner a little bit. So the story gets better with age, but man, uh, that's one of the that was the first moment in kind of in, in, in Tiger Stadium for me that was kind of uh, I'm like, dude, like like this is wild, like cause, you know, because yeah. when you're a freshman, man, you don't know what to expect. I played at Winsboro, dude. Like I played in front of 1,500 people. Like the largest crowd I ever played in front of was probably 7,000 people. You get to Tiger Stadium, and as a freshman, I'm starting, dude, and it's I mean, it's 90. What back then it was like 95,000 people, yeah. and it was a day, and it was a day. I'd never played a day game before. Like we we played A and M our first game, and I got no doubt I got pulled at halftime because I was getting my butt kicked, and then so now we we get to Tiger Stadium and we're playing a day game. And it's like I think we started that game at like eleven o'clock, mm-hmm. and I'm like dude, I didn't know how hot it could get at eleven o'clock. That's why I had to pull all those pads off because I was, number one I didn't want to get hurt. That's why I had all the pads on. But the hotter it got, I'm like I got to take some of this stuff off, dude, especially. <laughs> And, and that was one of the last time I played with gloves on, if you if you really want to know. And the only reason I had the gloves on that day is so I could catch the football. But after That's that, crazy. I stopped playing with I, I stopped playing with gloves on. And I didn't play like my entire career in the NFL. The only time I wore gloves is, is if the temperature got below forty degrees. Come on, I didn't I didn't realize that. You obviously taped up though, huh? Your fingers and all that. Did you, yeah, or you I mean, just... listen, you see how these fingers are crooked. I yeah. mean, that, that, yeah. <laughs> That comes from grabbing you and, and trying to get on the, the six and the two every time. <laughs> Booger, what, what, you know, our time at LSU uh, with, with Coach DiNardo, what were we missing? I mean, you look back at the guys we had. You had, you know, they just did the Cecil Collins, who wasn't there long. But you yeah. had Kevin Falk, uh, Rondell Mealy, Kendall Cleveland. You had David LaFleur, Savoie, who both played time in NFL. Uh, early, we had Kennison. You had Larry Foster. I, and I know I'm missing some guys, but we had some dudes. And on defense, we had yourself, Wiley, Gabe Northern, Kenny Mixon, Joe Wesley, who played – he played uh, in the NFL for a little bit. You had Denard Walker, Mark Roman. And I know I'm leaving some guys out, but we had yeah. dudes. What what were we missing during that time? Well, um, I think we had a lot of players. Um, we didn't necessarily have a lot of players, I think, at the right spots. Um mm. And our, our depth wasn't what it needed to be. Right. Yeah. Our frontline guys, like even my freshman and sophomore year, if you think about it, like his freshman year was myself, James Gilliard, Gabe Northern, uh, Chuck Wild, like all, all of us played in the league. Gilliard and Northern left, 
And so the following year, you had guys like myself, I think Mike Sutton, Kenny Mixon. So, like, we had some top dudes. Did Jarvis come in that year? Was he a freshman our second year, maybe, or third? Freshman, I think he was a freshman year, freshman that year. So, like, we started yeah. to develop dudes, but we didn't ever have that group where you could say, okay, we got seven or eight guys that can play this year. It was always we got three or four. And right. then two of those dudes will leave, and you get two more come up. And so I, I think now, and you see it even now, like, yeah, there are 22 starters, but realistically – you need about 30 to 35 top-of-the-line dudes to be able to compete week in and week out because you're going to have injuries. Um, you need depth to tailback. We had that. Our wide receivers were okay. Right. Defensively, we needed some more dudes. Like, like, like we needed impact guys at the linebacker position. Nothing against Allen Stansberry uh, and Pat Rogers. I, I think the best linebacker we had might have been Mike Calais. Yeah. And he had yeah. some issues staying healthy. Uh, Robert Deschatel was, I mean, like we had some good players, but we didn't have, like, if you go back and look at the LSU championship teams that they've had, oh, think yeah, about Devin. the dudes that they've had and the depth that they've yeah. had from, from, from top to bottom. Uh, and that's especially, especially in the front seven, but we were talented. But if you yeah. think about it, Todd, before you and I got to LSU in 95, LSU had lost for six straight years. So there was a culture that needed to change. And so in 95, when we got there, we were just trying to figure out how to win. And I'll give Donato a lot of credit. And 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 anybody that knows me know me and me and Jerry don't get along uh, as we tape this podcast. But I will give him a lot of credit because he helped develop the culture of we're going to win and how we're going to do it. And I think our group really bought into it. And so 95, 96, 97, I mean, it was momentum building. And in 98, it was supposed to be, you know, peaking to a crescendo. And we get Georgia at the house. Georgia's mm. ranked four, and we were ranked three, or vice versa, something like that. And to me, that was the game, I think, that really started the downfall of the Donato era because that game there, Georgia was, was that, low. Was that Quincy Carter and Champ Bailey? Quincy, that was a big hit. Quincy Carter, Champ Bailey, Larry Brown. Like, it was, I mean, it was, it was unreal. And we didn't execute. I think we lost that game 28-27, something like that. Uh, but we were loaded that year. But yeah. for whatever reason, after that game, our season went downhill, man. And, and Donato lasted one more year, I think. And then he got fired and Saban came in and, and away they went. But we stopped the the avalanche that was people looking at LSU and people looking at the culture of our program as a losing program and losing culture. We did that in 95, 96, and 97. We just couldn't get over the hump. And you could say some of that was coaching, probably so. I attribute a lot of it. We weren't deep enough yeah. at the key positions, um, especially, you know, going against the teams that were really good. Like, I can't remember who won the title. I mean, Florida was really good. You think about those Florida teams back then. Oh, they had Warfel and uh, Dude. And, and they were they had, they had eight first rounders on one of those teams. Curse. Yeah, Javon Curse. Booger, talking about this year, 2023 Tigers, you look at, what they're putting on the field offensively, I think for me, that offensive line is one of the best, most consistent offensive line that we've had at LSU in a while. Yeah. Uh, you look at Jaden Daniels, and he just he is consistent every week. You know, he's going to give it to you in the air with his accuracy. He's going to scramble when he needs to. Uh, offensively, we got all the pieces. Uh, defensively, and this is just me, I'm not a defensive guy looking – and I wonder, you know, those guys in the secondary, if you make them cover for a long time, nobody can cover forever. I think our our 
weakest point is our D line. We we you know we normally have dudes that are dudes on that D line in the past, and uh, I mean you can put the best corners in the world out there, the best secondary, and they can only cover for so long. Yeah, my my naked eye, my offensive eye looks like that's the the missing link on defense. What are you saying? So, so here's what I'll say, and I've been very critical. Like I, I I've watched every snap that they played so far this season. Um, there there was no there was no aggression early on. There was no there wasn't the effort that you're used to. And I I told the head coach and I told everybody down there that would listen. There's three coaches you need in your program. All right. Outside of the head coach. All right. Your offensive line coach, your defensive line coach and your strength and conditioning coach. If you have dudes at those three spots, your football team is going to have a certain demeanor and a certain tone. You think about Hal Hunter and Mike Tollison every day. All right. You think about those two personalities in those meeting rooms, getting us ready to go nine on seven and go against each other every day. Now, you fast forward that to now. For whatever reason. The defensive line isn't matching the offensive line's intensity. And I don't know if that happened in fall camp, but when it comes to the game, our defense was too passive. To your point, if a defensive line is passive, they're not going to get any pressure. If they're not going to get any pressure, then guess what? We're going to be very, uh, very vulnerable on the back end. The bottom line is this, T-Mac, and, and, and I'm, I don't sugarcoat it. I keep it real. We're not talented enough on defense right now in the secondary. The guys that have talent up front, a la Mason Smith, Wingo. Um, I think one of the dudes that's got to play more is Womack. Like, mm-hmm. those dudes have got to play more and they got to play better. Uh, for the first time that I can remember, the last two years, LSU doesn't have the the secondary that we, that we normally have. Mm-hmm. And regardless of whether or not you have guys up front, you still got to cover people. Uh, so overall, we're just not as talented as we uh, need to be defensively. I think the head coach recognizes that. Well, I hope that I hope he does. They're paying him a hundred million dollars <laughs> to recognize it. So he's got to get it figured out, and and they got to do it re- with recruiting. I think the biggest problem with not only our defense, but I think it's a college football issue, is, and and and, and I would love your take on this. The transfer portal has created this aura of almost like free agency in the NFL. So instead of saying, okay, I need, like right now, like if you go back last year, I knew LSU secondary was weak last year. So now as a coach, I know I got to go out and recruit some better secondary guys. Well, what happens is instead of busting my ass when I'm recruiting, I just rely on the transfer portal. And I can go get two or three corners and bring them in. Well, guess what? There's a reason they're in the transfer portal. No, absolutely. Very rarely are you getting stars out of the transfer portal. And I think Nothing against him. I forget his name. Number twenty-two, the transfer from Syracuse that started the first game. I don't. I can't remember his name. If the Chestnut. best corner we can, yes. If if Chestnut is the best corner we can get, then we are in a world of hurt. Nothing yeah. against the kid. He's not an SEC caliber corner. And I think yeah. the first game of the year showed that, and uh, subsequent games after that showed that also. And so this is a long-winded answer of just saying, hey, our secondary has got to be better. It's a combination of recruiting, and to me about 1% the transfer portal. You can't live in the portal because you're going to get dudes that are um, not quote-unquote complete players. But I think there's some there's some guys on our defense that are going to be players next year. Uh, I love I love the Stamps kid. I love Womack. I love Weeks. Um, I don't know what Mason and, and Makai are going to do. 
but there are some dudes that we got, but our defensive staff and our head coach have to do a better job of recruiting because the offense is outstanding. I don't know if it's 2019 offense, and the reason I say that is this. 2019 offense had number one overall pick, first-round pick receiver, first-round pick receiver. Uh, Sadiq Charles is starting in the National Football League. Damian Lewis is starting in the National Football League. Uh, the center, was it, uh, is it Thornberry? I think I can't remember his name. They're starting for the Broncos. Cushenberry. Cushenberry. Cushenberry yeah. is starting in the National Football League. Like, think about that. Uh, <laughs> That's Edwards Hilaire is starting in the National Football League or, or, or playing a lot. Think about all the dudes that are playing. And if you look at this offense, I think neighbors, neighbors will be a player. I think our two offensive tackles are going to eventually play in the league. Uh, I think um, Thomas uh, will get a shot. Thomas will get a shot. I think the tight end is going to get a shot when he comes out. So the offense has seven or eight dudes. You're like, okay, that's what a legit team is supposed to look like. Right. Our defense right now, I mean – Mason Smith, he may play. He's been a little bit of a disappointment. I think Wingo, when Wingo is not tired, Wingo can go. Yeah. Uh, he'll play. But other than, like, yeah. like uh, other than that, like where are the dudes that are going to play on Sunday? And so therein lies what's wrong with the defense. I, I agree with you on that. And that's, uh, you know, it's a big pride. You know, it's not just one spot. It's a, it's a whole group. Um, Correct. You know, and I hope I, you know, like you, I watch our Tigers every week and when they – when they lose, I, I'm depressed. You know, uh, no you matter too, if they I... have, a, no matter if they have a good team or they have a bad team, but I, I think they got a shot to win out. You know, and it's going to be tough to go to Bama. It always is uh, with Saban, but they have a realistic opportunity to go in out and then see see what happens at the end. You How know, much we... do you go around right now? I you know you still live in the area. How much do you go over there? Because uh, Brad Davis is a, who the, the offensive line coach is a Baton Rouge guy. He's phenomenal, by the way. He is. Uh, it, it, to me, what he's done—that's what you call camaraderie in that room. Those dudes. Um, how much did you get a chance to go around and just not necessarily talk or speak, or just go around and watch and be around the program? I have been up there once, and like you said, Coach Davis, I love what he's about. He had me come talk to the group, uh, to the offensive line group last year. Um, and work with a few guys on a couple of things, but I haven't been up there much. But for me, being an offensive lineman that played at LSU and to see the product that, that he's putting out on the field and the way they're playing, you know, I stick my chest out because, you yeah. know, an offensive lineman, if if you don't hear about them, they're doing good. You know, you start hearing yeah. their names mentioned, uh, that's when you have a problem. And I, I really, really appreciate what he's doing with that program. Are you, you know? Let me ask you this. Are, are you amazed at how the game has changed so much? So right now, it's all shotgun. It's all inside, outside zone. Dude, when we were at LSU, it was power. It was toss. It was double. It was duo. <laughs> like, nobody's running duo anymore. Nobody's yeah. running power. Nobody's running crack toss anymore. Are you amazed? And to your point, at, at least that's to my own. What do you see when it comes to how the how running games are so different now than when you were playing center, not only in the league, but like back at LSU? No, it's changed, Booger. And I've been out, to, like you say, to an LSU practice and even to Atlanta to watch a practice. And I'm like, man, I could do that. If I could do this again, I could go play for 20 years. You know, it's like the it's like it's flag football out there. Yeah, and Booger, we had some 907, some inside run periods with Donardo that lasted a day and a half. I mean, really, <laughs> I can remember going through a 24 play 
907 script and Donardo saying start from the top. And I'm like, there's no way, you know, do I really love football this much? Uh, but start you know, from the top. Oh, yeah. I love you. Uh, but the way the way the game has changed, you know, it, you always hear the old timers talk about, you know, I could do this and I could do that. If I was getting paid that much, it, it's definitely changed. Uh, but it's just the, the nature of the world and the culture. And, you know, I, I would hate to be a defensive guy, linebacker, DB. You can't hit anybody anymore, you know, and I yeah. feel bad for those guys and, and the fines. Booker, I know you're a busy man. A couple more questions. What's your, like, a weekly during football season, start on a Monday, what's what's Booker McFarland's world look like right now? Okay, so, like, my Monday is a little different, so I'm going to start on uh, start on Tuesday and kind of work backwards. So, Tuesday, um, Tuesday of the day, like, usually, man, I get up, I take my kids to school, um, Come back, work out. I'm a big Peloton guy. I ride the Peloton every day. Um, just kind of just start watching some games from college. Usually, I, the first game I watch is the LSU, and then I'll start. I go from LSU to the NFL, and then uh, I'll do that probably for a couple of hours. It just kind of so, you do this while you're riding your your bike. You watch games and start no, 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 doing... no, 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 big big guy. Riding that bike is hard enough. I got to focus on one thing and okay, one thing. All right, all right, go ahead. All right, so <laughs> and, and 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 so I like I'll get done off the bike, and so I'll watch film from like I don't know in ten thirty eleven until about one. Uh, then I go I go grab lunch, pick the kids up, and then like once I pick them up, I'm kind of done with work. It's just kind of via dad whatever they need, hang out. Uh, Wednesday, kind of the same routine. Uh, Thursday. I'll try to get out Thursday morning uh, after I drop my kids off, play, play nine or 18 holes of golf or something like that, which, which is why I canceled golf today to come hang out with you, which is no problem. Um, uh, I'll hear about this forever. There's no question you're going to hear about it. Um, and then usually Friday. So Friday's the day I travel. So Friday evening, you like catch the last flight out. And I'll, you're in Tampa and, now? Still in Tampa? I'm in, yeah, I'm in, I'm in Tampa now. Friday evening, I'll catch the last flight out from Tampa. And I'll go to Hartford, Connecticut. I usually get to the hotel around by 10, 30, 11, depending on if I have a direct flight or connection. Uh, Saturday morning, I wake up. I got to be in the studio at, at ESPN at 12 o'clock. So I got to be dressed, seated, 12 o'clock. And the reason being, that's when the game start. And let's just say our game is, I don't know, Colorado versus Oregon. And let's say there's a lightning storm out there where they're going to clear the stadium. And the broadcast is going to throw it back to the studio. So then we got to feel until the, the game's ready to be played. And now if there's no weather, we just kind of sit there and wait on halftime. And so Saturday, I do halftime, pre, post, any feel in and around all of our games every Saturday. I usually get, I usually start at, like I said, I got to be there at 12. I get done about 930 at night. All right. Sunday morning, uh, depending on the time of year, Sunday morning is probably my most relaxed time. I'll get up. I'll read a little bit. If the weather's nice in Connecticut, I'll try to I keep a set of clubs up there. I'll go play some golf. I got to be at the studio uh, on Sunday at 1 o'clock. That's when my NFL duties start. And I do NFL primetime with Chris Berman on Sunday. And so we start watching the 1 o'clock games, and we watch all the 1 o'clock games, and we'll watch three quarters of the 4 o'clock games, and then we'll kind of develop our game plan, what we're going to talk about. So you and NFL. Berman, y'all sit there and watch those games together? Yeah. Or yo, yo, okay. Yeah. I mean, we get there at 1 o'clock. We got this thing called NFL War Room, and all it is is a big conference room with a wall of TVs. It's got two TVs that are probably 150 inches, and then we got another 12 that are like 50-inch TVs. So you can have every game on at one time. And 
it's it's actually behind the cafeteria. And so you talk about a uh, you talk about heaven. I can sit there, <laughs> I can order food, they'll bring it in, and sometimes I have to watch myself. I'm like, I all right, I've already had a dozen wings and it's only like two o'clock. I probably need to start Peloton again. And, oh, <laughs> tell me about it. So uh, we watch those games. We do our show 7.30 to 8.15 live on ESPN+. And after the show, we got to record a few things. Um, and so I usually walk out of there like 8.45. I'll go back to the hotel, watch the Sunday night game or whatever. Monday morning, I wake up. We got a Zoom at 9 o'clock. I do this show on, on Monday called the, the Monday Blitz, which is a combo show between uh, NFL and college. It's about 90% NFL, about 10% college. So we have a Zoom at 9 o'clock. Um, after the Zoom, I'll start watching the NFL games from the day before. Um, kind of develop what we're going to talk about, get all my ideas. I get to the studio, I don't know, 1.30, uh, get dressed, do the show from 3 to 4. At 4 o'clock, I literally go jump in the rental car. I'm headed back to the airport. And depending on the flight schedule, uh, I get home anywhere from, I don't know, 8.30 till like 11 o'clock at night. And then Tuesday morning, wake up and start it over again. That's crazy, man. That's uh, always wondered how you how you managed and how you did it and how much you were able to stay at home. And I know during the off season, you probably have a little more time, a little more flexibility. Yeah. And that's when you and Freddie Mac get to go play a little golf together. Freddie Mac's a nut. But... Yeah, first of all, Freddie Mac is the only guy I know who he loves golf so much, but he gets so angry at it. He throws clubs on the golf course. <laughs> And then he'll be like, man, I just love it so much. I'm like, can you just not throw the clubs, though? But I, if fortunate enough for me, Ty, I work a job that, and here's how I rationalize it in my head. I work about 115 days a year. And so the rest of that time, I get a chance to do whatever. We go on vacation. I, I go to the school and go to parent-teacher meetings and fundraisers and all that. But I have to work those 115 days. And it just happens that they all kind of come in the fall. But I just look at the other side is that I'm, I'm able to do so many more things that I there's really no way I could work a quote unquote regular nine to five just because that flexibility that the job that I have really provides me is, is something that I really enjoy. How many kids you got? Four? You got four, I got, right? I, I got four, uh, Bug. I got Maverick. My oldest is at Southeastern finishing up school. I got a daughter, uh, Ryan, who's at Louisiana Tech. I got a daughter, Riley, who's at McNeese, and then I have a sophomore here at Zachary, uh, my son, Madden. Wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. You got three kids in college? Yeah, man. We're getting old, bud. What the huh? hell? <laughs> I didn't well, know man, you had three in college, dude. Heidi and I got married in 99, so it was I remember when me and you were getting ready, training for the combine. We got married. Well, I'll tell you, matter of fact, Booger, we got married. Heidi went to the Senior Bowl. Her honeymoon was with Leo in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl. So uh, we went to New Orleans for like a night and then went straight to Mobile for the Senior Bowl. Uh, wow. But we had, I mean, Maverick in 2001, right? He was born in 2001, and then they were stair-step like right after that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah we're getting old. It seems like it was yesterday we were in uh, Bruce Art Hall, but uh, – it's gone by, flown by, man. So the, the most important job we got, and, and I'm sure you know this, is being a dad and, and making sure that, you know, when those kids go out in the world, uh, and somebody said, yeah, you were raised the right way. 
Like that's all that's all I want somebody to be able to say to my kids, man, is that you were yeah. raised the right way. I think that's the most important job we got. And as long as we do that, man, everything else kind of fall in line, you know? Yeah, absolutely, Bug. But going back and, and looking back at our time together and what you've meant to me, what you've meant to my career, and to be able to say that Booger McFarlane is a friend, uh friend for life. I mean, this dude had his own uh, Boogermobile on Monday night football. You know, he goes, he watches football on Sundays with Chris Berman. I mean, this is all stuff that's, that's legendary and you're getting to do something that you love to do. Uh, yeah. and you're really good at it, you know, and to, to say that I got Booger McFarlane, a friend. And then like, you know, if, if I told you Booger, I needed you here, I feel like you would drop everything you had and you'd be here as quick as you no get here. And I, and I hope, you know, I, you know, the same way here. My life would be different if, if number 92 hadn't, if we hadn't crossed paths and, uh, I appreciate you, bud. And, and thank you for coming on, man. Hey man, anytime, dude, it, it goes without saying, man, to you and your wife, man. Um, again, dude, uh, many, many blessings going forward. I mean, I'm sure you and I'll talk and, and, and I hope she knows, I hope you know, um, you know, what you meant to me, dude, and what you still mean to me today. And just, uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, you, you know, when you tell a story, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, and the entire story is important, but there would be no middle and no end without the beginning. And I often right. say that, and, and I say it this way, because the beginning, I one of the first things I learned, again, as I'm developing into a young man, I'm just this 17-year-old kid who's got a little afro, my teeth are crooked, I'm in LSU. And, and, and little did I know I was going to meet you, dude, and, and, and you changed the way I look, not only at teammates, but camaraderie and, and going forward, dude. So I'm, I'm forever grateful. Uh, I love you. Love your family, dude. Tell everybody I said what's up, man. Um, and we got to get out on the golf course. I'm not going to ride any bulls. I'm not going yeah. to jump on any cows. Uh, but I, I do have a feeling that you could play some golf. So maybe we'll, we'll intermingle on the golf course and not on the ranch somewhere. Booger, I used to play golf. I don't anymore. So we're gonna we're gonna have to find something else. I don't know if we could <laughs> fish or do something, but we'll hey, we'll find a reason to to hang out and uh, maybe it'll be going back to Burns Steakhouse where when when you walked into Burns, I'm telling y'all, I went down to like I said, it gone forever. Booger picks me up at the a team hotel in Tampa, takes me to Burns Steakhouse. And it was like Norm from Cheers. Everybody knew who Booger was. I think they started cooking his food when he walked through the door because they knew what he wanted. Uh, but, but Booger, I love you, man. And uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. Anytime, man.